This morning we began a brand new series of messages entitled, I Promise, The Promises of God in Scripture. Let me just um, define what a promise is and the difference in a promise and a principle. Because sometimes we confuse those in Scripture. We often look at principles as promises. But let me just pull away and define promise. A promise from God, and they're all through Scripture, by the way. There are tons of promises, and we're going to look at a bunch of them over the next few weeks. But a promise is something that's not dependent upon us doing something to receive it or for God to do it. When God says, I will do this, it's not dependent upon us doing something to receive that promise. And the promise that we look at today will be very clear as to seeing that. A principle which we find all through scripture, which are just as important. In fact, they require us to do something, walk in obedience. And and just for a, a, a small example, the book of Proverbs is loaded with principles. If you raise your children this way, they will turn out this way. That's a principle in scripture. That's not a promise in scripture. But it's a principle. There are ways that we should walk in wisdom with our children and they'll turn out a certain way. A promise, though, stands alone. It's Jesus saying, I'm good on my word, and what I say is true is true. My yeses are yes, and my noes are no, and this is a promise, and in Jim Brown words, you can bank on it. It's not dependent upon us. The promise that we will look at today is a rich promise in light of those of us who know Jesus Christ, and it's this promise is referred to 1,845 times in the Bible alone. 1,845 times this promise in one way or one fashion or another is written in Scripture. Jesus himself referred to this promise 21 times. Jesus said that he would do this 21 times even in Scripture. The promise that we have today is that he is coming again. We praise God for that promise. He is coming again. And that isn't dependent upon anything that we do for him to come back. He just says, I'm coming. And regardless of what you do, I'm coming back to take those that I know that are my own and have them be with me, come to be with me. Incredible promise. And one that I think we need to set our eyes on more than ever in the history of my lifetime. And if we focus on that instead of everything else around, we live differently. And not only we live differently, but we respond differently to what's happening around us. Grab your Bibles. We're going to go on a journey together and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 16 to 18. So if you, hopefully you have your Bible with you. And, and if you're online, I hope you have your Bible with you too. Would you just stand with me and we're going to read this out loud together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Let's read this passage together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Ready? Read. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Hold on. That's good news right there, isn't it? Like, 
there's a promise. <laughs> we will be with the Lord forever. In verse 18, ready? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You may have a seat. I'm going to do my Jim Brown best today <laughs> to encourage you with these words that, that the rapture will occur and, and that we will be with the Lord forever. Let me begin by saying this in regards to this promise. The return of Jesus will be imminent. It's not a word that we use too often in our English language, but the, the word itself has an important meaning. We'll look at that. But let's begin defining some terms before we actually get to the imminency of, of the return. Let's define this word called rapture. Rapture is a Greek word called harpazo. It occurs 14 times in the New Testament. And it's important each time it occurs. And here's what the word rapture means. I find it very interesting when you picture this. I'm a visual learner, a kinesthetic learner. And so for me to visually see this, it helps me understand the word rapture. The word rapture means this, to carry off by force. So picture if you can. Rapture is, is more than, obviously it's Jesus coming and taking us out. But there's this picture of to carry off by force. It's the idea that Satan and his demons will do everything in their power to keep the saints here on earth, but they will be unable to. And the angels who come back with Jesus at the rapture will overpower them and carry believers away by the force and the dunamis and the power of Jesus Christ. In other words, there ain't nothing stopping Jesus getting us. That's bad language or bad English, but you know what I'm saying. There is nothing that will stop Jesus from carrying us away by force. In the book of Revelation, the doors of heaven are opened twice. Once we go up and once we come back. So think about that for a second. It's, they're open twice. And so as we think about the second coming, there are two stages to the return of Jesus. And sometimes people get these confused, but I want to help you with these. So the doors are open twice. Once he raptures the church, he carries them out by force. They're caught up together the doors are open. He comes and we go and enter in heaven. And then the doors are open again. We're going to look at it a little further in the message where the doors are open wide up. After the end of the seven years of tribulation, we will come with Jesus mounted on horses. It'd be great if they were still horses. Harley Davidson's a big great Jesus. We come on those. And come back with Jesus to come down and to wipe out all evil together. So let's just process this for a second. The coming of Jesus is twofold. The first part is the rapture, the catching up of the church, the taking out by force. At the beginning of the tribulation period mentioned here in 1 Thessalonians 4. And then the second stage of the coming is after the seven years of tribulation. Now let me just pull away and say this. By theology and understanding where I stand, I would be a dispensationalist. I would be a pre-tribulationist, which means this. I believe, and there were some that believed different than me, but I believe that the church is caught out, is harpazoed out before the seven years of tribulation. And there's many reasons why I believe that, and I'm not going to spend all my time on that, 
But one of the primary ones is, is uh, Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why would we ever have to go through a condemning time of seven years if there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus? That's just one of many verses. So we have the rapture before the tribulation, seven years of tribulation, and at the end is the second coming of Christ after the seven years of tribulation. So first he comes for us, and then we come back with him. Matthew 24 and 25 gives us many signs that point to the coming of the Lord, the second part of this return, and it could happen at any moment. But none of these, by the way, refer to the rapture. And we would say this, the rapture is a signless event. And what I mean by that is there are no signs that will be given to prepare us for the arrival of the rapture. It could occur at any moment. It means it's imminent. Possibly even before I get through this, what, through this wouldn't it be something as we're singing the last song that Jesus raptured his church? Can I get a couple amens out of that? Like, sounds like you're thrilled. Like, anybody over here? Like, you, you want to go? Like, I'm going. Like, I'm, I'm out of here. You want to stay here and finish your service? I'm, I'm going. I'm out of here. It could occur at any moment, possibly before the service. That's why we refer to it as an imminent return. Here's how we define the word imminent. Now, it's important to define terms. The word imminent means hanging over one's head or ready to befall or overtake or close at hand. Imminent means hanging over one's head. It means ready to befall. It means to overtake. It means close at hand, which means it could happen at any moment. And here's what imminent also means, by the way. Other things may happen before this event, but nothing else must take place before it happens. If something else must take place before an event can happen, then the event is not imminent. And so there are no signs. Now, there's signs for the second coming, and we recognize that that's seven years later, and I'm going to show you the signs that I believe have been fulfilled. But the return, the first stage, the rapture could happen at any moment. It's imminent that it's going to take place at some point. I'll give you a, a, a silly illustration. When I was at college, at Grace College, I was such a model student at times. But in one of the, one of the dorms, me and my buddies went into, and we screw, unscrewed all the shower heads in the showers. And as we unscrewed all the shower heads, we took Kool-Aid mix and mixed it up and dumped it in the edge. I'm giving bad ideas, dear, here. And I, we dumped blue Kool-Aid mix in the shower head. And then we went back and screwed all the shower heads on. It was imminent that there were going to be some dudes coming out looking like Smurfs. It was going to happen. It was hanging over their head. It was going to happen as soon as what? The water was turned on. Sooner or later, someone was going to get a blue shower. And by the way, blue Kool-Aid doesn't come out very easily. Try it if you don't believe me. But it's hanging over the head. That's the picture of the rapture. Without any sign, without any warning, Jesus Christ will rapture his church and take them to heaven. There was a video, and by the way, we should have no fear of this, by the way. Sometimes people 
And the reason we shouldn't have fear is because we're the ones that will be raptured out. This should be a joy to us as Christ followers today. Now, there are people who don't know Jesus Christ that this will take place. Watch this. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come... stark reality for those who don't know Jesus Christ personally and it breaks my heart to think there might be people in this room that are tuning in online that are in an FM parking lot that are in other auditoriums you will be left behind if you don't know Christ but for those of us who know Jesus it's a glorious event in fact Paul tried to describe it in Titus 2.13 by saying this, looking for this blessed hope and glorious coming of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful event for those of us who know Christ. Paul would say later in 1 Thessalonians here in chapter 5, verses 1 and 9, that the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It's a surprise event. And he says that we will not suffer wrath. To suffer wrath, I believe, means that we will not go through the tribulation period, that we are pre-tribulations, we are ushered out, we are called out, we are taken by force out of the rapture. Paul would also say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52, referring to the rapture, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, a sudden event, we will be changed. It happens so quickly that this, this imminent return, this rapture, is, happens in the twinkling of an eye. We will be taken out by force. We will be caught up together with Jesus in the, the clouds and in the heavens. Jesus said in John chapter 14 to the disciples in verses 1 through 6, he told them that he's going to prepare a place for them and if he'll come back to get them. It's the picture of the rapture taking place. So as you process this with me, think through this. We need to wake up and get ready because the rapture could occur today and there are people who don't know Jesus Christ. And we must be the messengers of that truth. Some of us are so frantically, frantically busy taking care of our daily needs and consumed, obsessed with COVID-19 that we're not even telling others about Jesus Christ. And we need to get them prepared for his coming. I see Christians obsessed, even paralyzed, and some even completely isolated from the world, and they have lost the mission of Jesus in the mess. Let me just pull away and and say a little about the schemes of the enemy referred to in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians The devil has schemes, the enemy has schemes, and his schemes or schematics try to pull you away. 
And his primary way that he wants to pick you off is to isolate you. So don't you dare not think that during this time, this season of COVID-19, that the devil's schemes are not tuned in to the nth degree. The very thing that many of us are being forced to do is an opportunity for the enemy to jump in and to pick off his own. Isolation is the tool of the enemy. Community is the lifeline of Jesus Christ. The world that we live in will not last forever. We need to think about the world that is coming and prepare for it. We need a good wake-up call, and I believe COVID-19 is the wake-up call for us as followers of Christ. But we can't let fear become a greater problem than the coronavirus. And let me just speak to that as tenderly and humbly as I possibly can as I process this. We are living in a time, if we're not careful, where we barely talk to anyone. I mean, just walk into any place that you shop. Do you find yourself dodging people? You grab a cart and what do you do? You back up. You can't communicate. You go into shopping centers and it's quiet because no one is communicating. We stand six feet apart from people. And the very thing that we're here to do is be on mission for Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, we aren't using our voice to talk to people. How difficult is it even to say, I walk through department stores and I'm, I'm this strange dude that walks through and says hello to people. How are you doing today? People look at me like, what is up with you? I'm a person who cares about you. And so the very thing, if we're not careful, the enemy is using his schemes to separate. Why? Because he doesn't want the message of hope to be given to people. He wants them to go to hell with him. But we need to speak into this time. We can't just keep pulling away and not using our voices and our lives to take Jesus. More than ever, people need hope. And the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? But we need to be the people taking the hope. Process that for a second. Are you doing that? We barely communicate with people. And people need Jesus. I am begging you. I am begging you online. I am begging the church of Jesus Christ. Tell the world about Jesus. He is the hope. Don't let them be isolated and picked off. We are designed for community. And the best way to tell someone about Christ is to bridge the gap and speak the name of Jesus to them. We must do that. The event, the rapture, will be spectacular. Think about that for a second. And it will be seen by many. The world will know that the rapture occurred. How do you know that, Pastor Jim? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. What does Matthew chapter 24, what did Matthew say, inspired by the Holy Spirit, say in regards to the rapture? Matthew chapter 24 and verse 27 says this. Matthew 24 and verse 27. 
Verse 27 says, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west. What do you mean by that? Like we could stand on the west side of our property over here and we could look to the east and see the lightning in the east. And he says, as read, read on in verse 27, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the son of what? Man, which is Jesus Christ. Some ask, how will we see it? All it takes is one video to go viral on social media. I'm telling you, we live in a world where technology is, is on, basically on our thumbs. We can talk to the whole world in seconds. And so, yes, they will notice that a rapture has occurred. There will be an immediate exit of all born-again believers everywhere on earth. It'll be the most cataclysmic event in the entire history of mankind. Graves will give up their bones. Morgues will be emptied. Airlines will crash. George, your plane's going down, brother, in the air. It's going down because you're going with Jesus. There will be car crashes everywhere. It will be impossible not to notice that something spectacular has just happened in our world. There's an order to this too. In this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that there is a loud command, there's a voice of an archangel, there's the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Why a loud command? Well, think back in the New Testament. When Jesus walked to Lazarus' grave, what did he say? He said, Lazarus, what? Come forth. And by the way, if he would have just said come forth, every dead body would have popped out of the grave because his word is word. And when he speaks, you drop the mic and walk away because it's going to happen. And so there will be this loud command. I don't know what he'll say. Maybe he'll just say, come forth, believers. There will be a loud command. And then it says, there will be a voice of an archangel. The archangels announced that the king of kings and lord of lords has come. And those of us who are here will be ushered out, will be called out, will be taken by force. Why the trumpet call of God? If you ever study kingship or queenship, often when they announce the king or the queen, there is a trumpet call to them. The trumpet call is recognition that royalty has entered our world, that the king of kings has left his throne and Jesus has entered the airspace. Hey, he's coming back. Amen. That's the picture. And then it says the dead in Christ will rise first. But just prior to this, I find it fascinating. In fact, it was so rich for me this week again to study back this, but look at verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4, because this is a beautiful picture for those of us who have lost loved ones that know Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 14, just prior to 16 to 18, this is what Paul says. He says, for we believe that Jesus, what? What's it say? Died and rose again. And so we believe that God will what? What's the verb? Bring with who? Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, 
who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. It says that Jesus or God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Think about this for a second. I found some interesting commentary on this this week. At the return, he will bring the souls of those that have died before. And what do I mean by that? When I go to a funeral and there's a loved one in a casket, the carcass or the body is there. There's no soul, there's no spirit there. That body is taken to the grave and buried. And if you would hit that, touch that body, that body is completely dead, that loved one that you care about. But at the moment, we would say death, and I'm gonna talk about that term because it's only referred to twice for believers in the New Testament. It says they fall asleep because we really don't die because as soon as we breathe our last breath, we're more alive than we've ever been. We're with Jesus. And so we need to rethink even that word death. But as soon as that person dies, their soul and their spirit is ushered into the presence of Jesus in heaven. So you have a body that's left and there's this soulish form that is totally in heaven with God enjoying the realities of heaven. Recognizable, but doesn't have the body form. And this passage says this, at the rapture, those souls, God will bring them with Jesus at his rapture. What does that mean? Just picture if you can, that loved one that you dearly love and have lost. You've grieved and mourned and been broken over. You've wept. If they know Jesus Christ and had a personal relationship with him, they're coming with Jesus and their body in the grave will meet, this corruptible body will now become incorruptible and it will meet the soul in heaven. And then it says that the dead in Christ, that's the body, and then those that are still here will be caught up with them. It is a collision. Now think about this for a second. It is them coming and I got to think through this. I don't know all this because this is, we would say, level six kind of theology. It's speculation. But when that door is opened up in heaven for the, the, Jesus to come, these souls come with him. They got to know what's going on. And there's this picture that somehow as they come, that they, those that had loved ones that have went on, now they have the mind of Christ and so they don't process pain or sin but they're coming, it'll be the best family reunion we've ever seen. Amen? It's a beautiful picture. And by the way, without any weird uncles, praise God, huh? <laughs> I love that picture for me. Stop for a moment and picture this. All the loved ones that you have stood by their gravesite, all the grieving you have experienced will now be wrapped up in a glorious return with Jesus in the souls of those have been with him since their death. Their bodies, incorruptible, will meet in the air. We will be called up with them and then we will enter heaven. I love that picture because I have some loved ones that know Jesus that have passed. I was thinking about my dad this week. He's been with Jesus three and a half years. That's going to be a glorious reunion. I'll see my dad, and if 
1 John 3, 2, and we'll all be, you and me, our bodies, it says we will be as Jesus is. We will be like him. Come on, can, you get, can, can I get an amen for that? No pain, no suffering, no sorrow, no weeping, no aches, no arthritis, <laughs> no temptation. Just perfect in every way. It's going to be an incredible moment. And I often think about those that are coming. I bet they're thrilled too. I finally get to connect with my family again. It's a beautiful picture of the return and the rapture. The dead in Christ will rise first. This is just spectacular. The graves will open up and the bodies that have been laid there for years will be resurrected. Sidebar for a second. I, I get this question asked, and it's a very good question, by the way. Pastor Jim, is it okay biblically to cremate my loved one? Is it proper to cremate? Because it says the dead in Christ will rise. If we cremate, there'll be ashes everywhere. Let me just pull away before I respond completely to that. If you had a loved one that was incinerated in a fire and there was nothing left to their body, do you not think that their body wouldn't be raptured? If you've had and hopefully it hasn't been, or know, or read of a case where someone has been dismembered brutally by a serial killer, and the body has been thrown all over creation, do you not think that that body that has been torn to pieces and particles won't be gathered? Or what if someone has drowned and the body drowned and he never found the body and then because of the process of nature and creation fish came and sea creatures came and ate that body up what is that how is that any different than a body that's been cremated and you say well pastor jim give me evidence in scripture well i'll show you turn to revelation chapter 20 and look at verse 3 revelation chapter 20 and verse 3 says this and this was John looking up from the island of Patmos in a dream. And in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 3, it says this. <coughs> he threw them into the abyss and locked and sealed them to keep him from deceiving the nations. After that, he set them free. And the sea, I got the wrong verse. It must be 13. Let me find it here. The sea will give up their dead. I don't have the verse here. I, got the, I, I put it down. But in Revelations 20, 19 or 20, it says the sea will give up their dead. And the truth is this. As the sea gives up his dead, it means this. Those that have died at sea, those who have been dismembered, those who have been drowned, their bodies will be gathered up and they will be meeting now from a corruptible piece into an incorruptible body that will be as Jesus and it will meet their soul in heaven. So back away. Yes, it's okay to cremate a body. It's just a carcass. The soul and the spirit is gone. And sometimes in your case, it might be the wisest and most practical financial decision that you do. Think through this with me as we process this. Every particle of the earthly body will be gathered. The sea will give up its dead that were in it. And death and the grave gave up their dead too. We who are still alive will be called up, will be raptured with them in the air. And at that moment, we will be stripped of our corruptible body. 
I love what Augustine said in regards to the rapture. He said this, the last day is hidden that every day may be regarded. (laughs) Press that for a second. The last day, the imminent return of Christ is hidden. It's hanging over us. It's to befall. It's almost taking place. It is hidden so that you and I will regard every single day that we live. Otherwise, if you knew and I knew the day of the rapture, we would, just by nature, what would we do? We would live the way we wanted to until we got closer to it. And so we need to live as if every day Jesus could rapture the body, our bodies, our lives into heaven. Let me just say this though. Make sure we aren't more in love with his coming than we are with the one who is coming. (laughs) And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is a loving God, loving Savior. One person described the rapture this way. He said, God will hover over the earth and snatch us up like particles of metal with the large magnet pulled off the earth and suctioned into heaven. Like, that's the picture. It's like this large magnet and every believer at the rapture would would be like pieces of metal and just gone. It'll happen so quickly in the twinkling of an eye. Now, let me just pull away and talk about the second part of the coming of Christ, the return of Christ. Matthew chapter 24 and 25 in Revelation refers to this. In Matthew 24 and 25, there says there are signs that must be fulfilled before the second coming of Christ. There's deception and delusion. There's wars and rumors of wars. Yeah, check, check. There is famine. Check, check. There are pestilence. Check. There are earthquakes. In King James, I love the diverse places. And so as we think about that... What is something that we are walking through right now? A pestilence. In fact, Luke 21, 11 talks about pestilence will be on earth in order as a sign of the second coming of Christ. Let me give you a definition from Webster's for pestilence. This is Webster's definition. They define pestilence in this way, a contagion or infectious epidemic that is virulent and devastating. I'll read that again. A contagion or infectious epidemic that is virulent and devastating. I would say that's a pretty good sign of what's going on right now with COVID-19. Jesus said, it would arrive like birth pains. That means it will increase with frequency and intensity in the times of his second coming. What's he mean by birth pains? Well, by God's grace, I'm glad I didn't have to birth our children. <laughs> I'm a tough man, but man, when I watch my wife go through that, man, I have all, she has all the courage and strength in the world. And for all you women that have been able to do that, you are courageous warrior women. But birth pains are interesting. And as I was there with Anne for Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah, labor pains came. And as the labor pains came, they increased in intensity. 
And I watched it with my own wife as they got closer to the birth of our children. The labor pains increase. And, and the Bible says that, that birth pains will increase and these signs will be fulfilled for the second coming. And sooner the intimacy of the return or the rapture of the church is on our doorstep. It reminds us of this. Let me just say this. Coronavirus is most likely not what Jesus was referring to. But surely it's a picture of it. It could be, but I don't know that it is. But it sure reminds us that such signs do exist and will happen. And coronavirus teaches us the vulnerability of many and the need for hope in Jesus Christ more than ever. Amen. I want to try to unite us here for a second. There is a lot of talk in the Christian circles about faith and fear. And we have to be really careful of this. It will divide us. We say things like this. Well, because you do this, you don't have faith. And because you do that, you have faith. Or because you don't do this, then you have fear. And because you don't do that, you have fear. Hear me out for a second. That determination is made by Jesus Christ. That's not made by us. And the moment that we begin to say, well, this side is doing this and that side's doing this, they have faith and they have fear. What you've done, you have divided the body of Christ. Leave that determination between you and Jesus Christ. Let's unite together under the, 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 hot, the umbrella of Jesus. Only God truly knows. But here's what I will say. We have to ask this question. Personally, I have to ask this question. Am I responding in fear to what's happening in our world? Or am I walking in faith? That's me. I'm looking at my life. I'm not examining your life. That's between you and God. But I asked myself this question. Am I in a holding pattern or am I in an advancing pattern? Or am I in a retreating pattern? Because there's only two ways to walk with Jesus. If you're in a holding pattern, you're retreating. We're supposed to be advancing the kingdom of God. In fact, my Bible and your Bible says forcefully advancing the kingdom of God. So ask yourself this question. Have you moved into a holding, retreating, and waiting time? when the message of Jesus Christ more than ever needs to be advanced? If you respond to the answer to that question is, I think I'm retreating. Then that's between you and God to determine how you advance. I'm not here to tell you. So how do you ask that? Well, ask yourself, are you still engaged with your neighbors? Tell them about Jesus Christ. Are you still on mission in your workplace? Are you still in community and being sharpened and shaped by other believers? Are you still serving the local church? Are you still giving to the local church? Are you still on mission or have you decided, I'm going to wait this out? The answer to that is you're either, and I'm either advancing or retreating. And so the response can be determined by you and I going through and asking the Spirit of God to show us how am I responding 
to coronavirus. My hope is this for Grace Community. By the way, let's unite together. Let's don't separate. Let's advance together forcefully the kingdom of God and let's see more people come to Christ than ever. Amen? That's our hope for this. So let's speak to what's happening to our world. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 16 and 17, I want you to turn there with me. Let's just take a look at some of the signs that we're experiencing. Revelation chapter 13 and verses 16 to 17 talks about the the mark of the beast and what the beast will do and what he'll forcefully do. Look at verse 16. It says, it, the beast, also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So there will come a time before the second coming that there will be a cashless society. Um, (laughs) It's a pretty cashless society, isn't it? Like there's a coin shortage in our world right now. Like I... I laugh at that and say, well, just go to all the water fountains where you've made a wish. <laughs> Plenty of coins in there. <laughs> but there's a coin shortage. It's cashless. All you have to do is take a card. And we have to be careful what we're pushed into or what we believe because look what's happening in Wisconsin right now. This is Wisconsin. Todd Westby might just have a hand in shaping the future. The CEO of vending machine maker Three Square Market literally opening doors with automation that's turning some workers into high-tech machines of sorts. This is a lot more than just some sort of novelty to you. It is. It's reality. With all of the interest we've seen in it, I can tell this is definitely the future. By injecting a rice-sized microchip into a willing employee's hand, all kinds of data can be programmed into them, from driver's licenses and medical ID cards to logging onto computers. You have to hold it up to something such as this. Even purchasing snacks in the company break room. More than 50 employees have volunteered. How much did that hurt? Didn't really hurt a lot. A third holding off for now. It kind of freaks me out a little bit. Some experts suggest caution. Among the concerns, ID theft, health, and whether the chips can be tracked by GPS. Most people don't really understand how this technology works, what data is collected, how it's stored, or who might be able to get access to it legally or illegally. Three Square says their employees cannot be tracked by satellite. Melissa Timmons was skeptical, but is now chipped. Yeah, right now it's only to buy a candy bar and get in our building, but there's a lot more that's going to be, be coming with it. Chips off the new block. I'll choose to pay with my hand here. Cool and technology once again hand in hand. So there's a way that cashless society, I don't know that that's the path, but... We have technology. Tell them I said hello, by the way. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, my phone does that all the time. We're glad you're here today. And with your daughters, at your daughters, God bless you. We're glad you're here today. <laughs> Grateful that we who know Christ can be raptured out before that. So do we have a cashless society? Are we seeing things like that on the horizon? Yes, we are. The return of Jesus reminds us of the hope that we have been promised and the reason we can endure with joy. That's why Paul said, therefore, encourage each other with these words. 
in the midst of chaos, anxiety, COVID-19 testing, uncertain school planning, job insecurities, masks, people fretting and worrying, God is only a breath away from returning. Amen? God is only a breath away from returning. Amen? Ah, <laughs> oh, like... That's where we need to focus our minds, set our minds on things above, not on things on earth. It will be the best family reunion ever. I love 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when Paul said, his grace is sufficient for us. There's only two times in the the New Testament that I can recall and search where we are referred to as dead. When I mean died. Now, we are dead in Christ. And so the majority of times that Christians are referred to when they die is that they are asleep. And one scholar said it this way, Jesus abolished death so completely that even the term death is no longer appropriate for believers. Don't you love that? Because we don't, we're not dead. We're more alive than we've ever been. We hope in Jesus and our Our faith and trust remains in him. There will be a day coming soon when we will never again have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Ah, praise God for that. No more weeping. No more mourning. No more grieving. No more crying. No more sin. No more pain. Jesus is coming again, and he will not only overcome COVID-19, but he has overcome the world. And that's why Jesus says this, and I'll say it again. Let not your hearts be troubled, because I have overcome the world. And his peace is available to those of us who know Christ. And you can bank on that promise that he is coming again. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, I don't want to leave this moment and pretend that there isn't a group of people that that don't feel and believe like I do. And I'd be kidding myself to think that every single person in this room or the auditorium behind us or online have a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. There's many forms of religion out there. There's forms of godliness and there's people who do good things. But the only way that we're saved or born again or raptured out is if we have a personal relationship with Jesus. There's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. We just went through a series of messages that told us that works don't do it. It's free. It's trusting in the atonement and the brutal death of Christ on the cross and his bodily resurrection. So I have to ask this question because... I don't want to get off mission either. I don't want to lose the message in the midst of the mess. I want to advance the kingdom forcefully. Do you know Jesus Christ? And maybe you were curious and you came in today and you tuned in because you saw a social media post. But I have to ask this question that maybe your your loved one has never asked you. 
Are you certain that you're saved? Has there been a time in your life where you fully trusted alone, alone in the work, in the death, in the burial of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection from the grave? Do you have a time in your life where you could say, Pastor Jim, this was the time in my life. And every time you ask this, I can go back there, but Pastor Jim, I'm not certain. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to not leave this room, to not turn off this live stream until you make right what Jesus made right for you by freely accepting the grace of salvation. So if you don't know that you know, that you know, that you know, then you better do it today. I don't want to scare you into anything. I'm not going to manipulate you into anything. I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said. The only way to God is trusting in Jesus Christ. And I long to see you at that grand family reunion in the sky one day. So if you're uncertain, would you just pray with me? And hear me out. The prayer doesn't save you. Prayer is a confession of what your heart has already responded to. Prayer is confessing back what you already believe in your heart. But I think it's important to confess it back. So if you're uncertain, would you just pray? Say, God, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. (laughs) The list is long. Forgive me. I confess my sin. Would you please forgive me of my sin? And Jesus, I trust in you and I repent of my sin and I believe that you are Lord and I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to walk with you the rest of my life. I want you to live in me. Save me, Jesus. Save me. And the truth is this, if you just trusted in Jesus, it's forever. Would you do something for me if you're online and, and you just made a decision to trust Jesus? Pastor Mike is following along. and Would you just write, today was the day I trusted fully in the work of Jesus Christ and I'm part of the family of God. If you're in this room or you're in the, the auditoriums behind me, would you, would you just do something for me? Just so I can welcome you like I can say with my eyes to your eyes, welcome to the family. Would you just raise your hand up in this room so I can see? Don't be afraid. Just hold it up and say, today was the day I trusted in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. God, we had some new addresses on earth today. God, may we never walk in fear, but may we advance the kingdom of God forcefully. And may we be people who stand when others aren't willing to stand. We love you, God, and we're grateful that you are coming again. In Jesus' name, amen.